You're listening to Sister Radio. In this show, we're talking with Martina Abrahams, and she is the founder of You Had Me at Black. Listen in as she talks with us about her life, her inspiration, and her work. Sister Radio. Tina, thank you so much for coming on Sister Radio. Um, you know, it's so funny. You're so polished and your show is like the production value is so good for You Had Me at Black. Oh, and I love how you. like, you're like, is my audio good? Do I sound good? I'm like. <laughs> See, that's so funny because it took us a very long time. To, well, it took us a while to get to like a good audio quality and to learn how to make it consistent. Like, I think in some of our earlier episodes where the, it sounded really crisp and clear, I almost felt like that was like an accident. Um, <laughs> we had a lot of uh, a lot of hiccups. Like there are some of our episodes where I listen to them now I cringe because it's like might be a little staticky or echoey. But so thank you for noticing because it's definitely something that we the last few months have paid a lot of attention to and invested more resources in, in making sure we sound really polished. So I appreciate that you noticed. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm just fair warning. I'm a little ghetto fabulous in my setup. I got pillows in the windows to try to block out sound. It's not really working. So you just be be prepared that my production uh, value is not at the caliber that yours is. But I'm that I'm so happy to just have you on because um, getting to listen to you, you have me at black. I think I've been following you on Twitter for maybe like a month or two now and um I just really appreciate how you pour into things and how you give um I don't know just a voice to storytelling so I, I want to you're I oh I didn't even think to say this but you went to Georgetown yeah okay oh, yeah. <laughs> I this is like you're getting engaged oh no you're engaged you're getting married you went to Georgetown like you are kind of bi-coastal but you're in the Bay Area um, mm-hmm. like, what's going on in your world right now? Like, what's your life like? <laughs> My, I realize it's funny because the question is, um, the question is, what would you name a movie after you? I would name it Doing Too Much. So I am, my life is doing too much right now. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm getting married. I have you had me at Black. I also have a full-time job that is, like, totally separate from anything else. Um... And with the of Black specifically, there's a lot, we have a lot of things going on. We are doing three live shows this summer. We usually do a live show every three months or four months or so. So to do, we're doing one in D.C. and one in Oakland, like, two back-to-back weekends. So preparing for that, I'm already, my mind is already exploding. Um, and then we also work on a couple of video projects that we're experimenting with, um, working with some folks that do 360 video and exploring, like, happily use 360 video to tell stories um, and on, on, you know, really important topics in places that have been the cornerstone of the black community um, and figuring out, you know, just how, how we're going to grow this thing and, and how do we get to have me at black into the ears of as many people as possible. Um, so, yeah, a lot of this, a lot of like little projects going on. We just launched a Kickstarter for you. Had me at Black. We launched it on Thursday, so I'm doing right now. Doing a lot of like emailing and 
Facebook messaging and friends and colleagues and people to try to rally their support of the project, and that will hopefully fund um, us going, bringing our live shows to different cities this in next year. So um, that's probably the number one thing on my list, but everything else is... Yeah, I would say the title <laughs> the title for doing too much <laughs> sounds about right. Yes. <laughs> but in a good way. I mean, maybe you're doing exactly what you need to be doing, but how does your fiancé play a role in You Have Me at Black and everything you're doing? That is a great question. He, he uh, plays a supporting role, and, when I, and he is... Probably one of the reasons why you had me at Black is even around, because um, I had thought of you had me at Black. A friend gave me the name years ago, and I was like, when she said it in a sentence, I was like, that's going to be something one day. And it was a project that I, when I was still living in New York, I was trying to figure out what I would do with it, and, you know, would it be a book, would it be a video series, but it, I had no idea, and I just put it on the back burner. Fast forward a few years, I'm living in Oakland, California. And um, I, when I moved out here, I told myself, you know, you're not going to leave without starting something because you can't be in the Bay Area for all these, you know, I call it like an innovation hub. I have to have something. So anyway, I end up thinking, I tell that to myself when I move out here. I end up meeting my now fiance, and he's an entrepreneur. He's never worked for anyone by himself since he was 18 years old. Like, he started a magazine in high school that morphed into his first company, and he's just, like, the epitome of a hustler, like, you know, just, oh, you know, just out there, things are out there, you know, making connections, and he's so hopeful that he will always be able to make it work for himself, that, like, it, you know, for him, failure isn't, not an option, that's not the right word, but... It, to him, he always knows that it's going to be okay. So whether you're in your financial spot or you're in a dry spell business-wise, like, you know, he, he, he always believes that, like, this is just a season. If I keep doing the work, I will see the reward. And his life has shown him that, you know, many times over. And so when I told him about you had me on black, he was totally on board. He was like, oh, this you should do it. This would be great. And I was like, okay, cool. So then, you know, you tell somebody something and then you kind of sit and needle on it for the next few days and that's when the fear sets in. When you're like, okay, can I do this? Can I actually build this platform that I really want to build? Will people trust me? Will people listen to me? What kind of reception will I get? Will it flop? And I'm going through all of these things in my head, almost talking myself out of it. And he calls me, so it's how my long distance, he calls me and he's like, babe, I was just thinking about you had me a black and how great it's going to be. And he was like, I told my friend about it. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. I should do it. And he, like, goes on for a few minutes and is just, like, encouraging me and not even realizing that in that moment, like, that's what I needed because I was this close to talking myself out of the whole thing that I hadn't even said to yet. So I didn't even tell him that his timing was so great. I just was like, okay, thanks, me. He's like, yeah, I'm excited. And I just kept moving, you know, forward and, and working on and getting it out there and, and building the team and stuff. And so I would say that, yeah, he's been a supporter from day one. I bounced so many ideas off of him. He also is, um, like, my doorman at <laughs> shows. It's really funny. Um, he always plays a security guard or, like, the helping hand, and he's just always, like, right there, whatever you need. Oh, that's and always, so sweet. Yeah, and that would encourage me to think bigger. Like, he'll be like, yeah, but you could think, like, ten times bigger. His thing is connect. 
like, how do you take what you're doing and making it 10x? But he's always encouraging me to think, like, oh, that's a cool idea, but, like, why Why are you doing that? So that is, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's just the role he <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Well, so what was the inspiration behind You Had Me at Black? What was, like, the birth? How did it come to be? Yeah, so uh, the the idea, the name came from a conversation with a friend who had started an app that helps um, that helps you find black-owned businesses in your neighborhood or your area. And so we were getting lunch one day, and she was, and I was, um, I work in tech, so I was working at another tech company, and she was like, girl, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, you know, I just know that I want to help black people, like, make their, their lives better in some way. And she was like, you had me at black. And I was like, ah, that's going to be, that's a book, that's a movie, that's <laughs> something. I don't know what that is, but let's make something with that. So we started exploring, um, at the time, I, I, I thought maybe like a video series that would explore um, different people's experiences and perspectives on blackness. And the reason why I was holding on that is because at the time I was 23, um, I had a couple years out of college, I grew up in New Jersey with a Haitian mom and an African-American father. Right? You grew up in a town that didn't have many black people. There are a lot of people of color, but not many black people. And I felt like, even my perspective on blackness, I, I had a very set perspective on what it meant to be black. And as I got older and like went to college in D.C. and moved to New York, and meeting people from around the country and parts of the world, I realized that to like, all of our definitions and perspectives on being black were very different. Some were better than mine, some were worse than mine in terms of, like, their perception of it being good or bad. Some were, you know, I guess the same, you know, similar in terms of whatever. But I, I was realizing the diversity of our experiences and the diversity of the diaspora, and I felt that that's something that I never saw growing up reflected in, like, the media. And I'm like, if I'm black and I don't see this diversity, then I know there's millions of other people that have never seen that diversity either. And so I just wanted to make it more like a, a documentary-style um, video series that explored that. But I was young. I wasn't very disciplined. The video was expensive. And so it's just something where it never really went off the bat. And my friend told me, like, you could do what you want with the name. She kind of, um, you know, she was getting married, having a baby. And so uh, she was interested in working on it. So I just sat on it. Um, and then... It wasn't until I moved here and decided to Oakland and decided to bring to pick it to start something. I picked up the name again. It was like, what can I do with this? And um, I picked up the idea again of like maybe it's a, it's a video, a photo series similar to Human of New York. And I was walking, taking a walk with my fiance, and he's South African. And so his, even his um, experience as, he's South African, but his parents are Ghanaian and Congolese. Even his experience of being raised in South Africa, but not being like his nationality, not being South African, is unique. And so I was talking to him about that, and I started recording it on my phone, and that's when I got the idea for a podcast. So I uh, was like, oh, that's going to do a podcast. And then from there, I just started listening to more podcasts and exploring different formats. And uh, and, that, and and we settled on with a first-person testimonial um, format because I had been to a couple of shows for the Moth, which is a storytelling event series and podcast. And I had I really enjoyed those. Um, and so I thought that 
um, that first-person storytelling was unique, especially um, in the black podcast world. So that's where we centered everything. Yeah, um, I have to say, so I've been listening. I This is how I would, the words I would use to describe you having at Black. I would say it's fun, it's smart, it's creative. And I feel like it is all about connection. Like, everything is about connection. Um, and then the other thing was, I <laughs> listened earlier today to the ayahuasca episode. <laughs> and I love that episode so much. I need to listen to it again. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that one was crazy. When we recorded that, I was like, what happened to you? I was like, I'm not going to lie. Like, he was kind of selling me on this idea of, like, yes, let's go to Peru. Let's get some shamans. Let's do it up. (laughs) Yes, yes. I was into it. And I'm glad that you mentioned the the connection piece because that is something that uh, is really, really important to us. And... You know, building connections, and when I think about it, I think about it more so like building connections within the community to empower and uplift the community. So, like, pretty early on, we were recording different stories, and we had to make the decision, like, who is the audience that we're targeting? Are we targeting a mainstream audience to make, you know, the black experience more palatable or more easy to digest for someone who's coming in for the first time and trying to immerse themselves in our culture? Or are we building it for, like, these black millennials whose voice they haven't heard was reflected in these ways before, and we decided on the latter. Um, and so, our, yeah, we're really here to, like, build connection and, and uplift the community and just build stronger ties within our communities so that people just feel like they have a safe place, feel like, feel that they are empowered, feel like they, you know, their voice is heard and important and valued and matters and, like, that you know, their, their voices are, are validated. And, you know, so that that's really the goal that uh, as we've evolved, that's really what we're setting out to do. Yeah, that's really important. So you're all about storytelling. And yeah. um, I want to ask you, why do you feel storytelling is important? What role does storytelling um, play in your life and your work? Yes. Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite quotes is, those who tell stories rule the world. And storytelling is important because if you look back in history, before we could write, type, anything, we documented our history through oral tradition. It was told, it was passed on through generations, just like oral history. And to me, storytelling is our history. And when you think about, um, the stories and the history that we are taught in the United States, it totally erases so many groups of people. Um, and I feel like I, I just always felt like there was power in those stories. And when you and even like ah, all the stories that we've heard of in our history books, there are like 50 million angles that you can look at them through. And we only look at them through one. It's usually through a white male kid, you know, a white male storyteller. But it excludes all the other groups that may have been involved in that particular historical incident. And so, therefore, our voices and our history and our humanity is erased. And so I, I always thought storytelling really important as a way to, like, document that we were here and document parts of history and the truth that aren't documented. Um, but also, I think that's, you know, the more macro level. On a more micro level, people connect through storytelling. There's all these 
there's all these studies that show that when you're trying to bring people together, stories work more so than facts, you know, more so than like an essay. But if you can build that, you know, people will are able, better able to relate to you when you're telling a story because there's usually something in that story that hopefully they can relate to or they can see in themselves or someone that they're close to. And so I just thought that storytelling was um, really powerful that way. And for a podcast, you know, it's like it's so close in your ear. And I think stories are very intimate. Um, and so when you hear, like, you couple the, the platform and the way that we're delivering these stories with the facts, with the, uh, the way we're sharing the stories, it's, I feel like it is a very intimate experience that all of those things considered works really well. Mm. Yeah, and that's the, an interesting point in, like, seeing people see themselves in, when others are telling stories. Like, I always think, like, that's why people go to the movies is you can kind of see, like, yeah, I know the Avengers isn't me, but, like, you can see yourself in it, and that's why people are invested. And um, right. I, that's kind of like a random side point. I don't know how much that plays in the no, way but, it's, but it's true. Sometimes it's, like, aspirational. Like, that's something you want to be like. Or someone that's someone more just relatable, like, oh, I had a similar experience, or, you know, um, or I know someone who had a similar experience, but stories can humanize people, because it's really easy for, if someone's different than you, it's really easy for you to write them off as just different, you know, but once you hear, uh, stories help to bring out that humanity and, and just build that connection. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. So happy one year anniversary, by the way, with you had me at black. So cool. I mean, how do you feel about that? It's been a year. Some days I feel like, wow, like that. You know, I can't believe that flew by. And other times I feel like, yo, I've been working at this for a long time. Um, just <laughs> because um, all the work that goes into it. But I, I'm very, very proud of the team, um, and like, really honored and humbled by the, the team that we have and just the fact that they're willing to continue doing this work on a volunteer basis. Like, everyone has a full-time, other full-time jobs or are in school um, and have all these other things going on. And just, I'm, I'm really proud and humbled that they continue to stick with You Have Me at Black and continue to just grow it and make it better and stronger. Well, how did you get your team? Like, did they just, like, pop up out of the ground? Because I've been trying to get a team for, like, six years. <laughs> so, so the first person on the team was my younger sister. So she is um, a co-founder and had me a black. And she has a creative arts background, writing, acting, theater, directing, producing. Wow. So I kind of came to her and was like, hey, I need a producer. You're going to be a producer. And she was like, okay. Um, so I kind of, I kind of told her she's going to be on the team, but <laughs> <laughs> now she's, she's officially, you know, she's 100% committed. And then the others just came from, the next couple people on the team, they came from, they were friends that I was telling the idea to, and they listened to podcasts, one works in radio, and they just really liked the idea, and so like, I want to be involved. And then we had, um, after our first season, we had put out some calls for me, a couple more producers and stuff. So, you know, friend of friends would refer people. And um, it, it was all, you know, word of mouth and, and referrals from friends. Um, so now there are nine of us on the team. 
That's awesome. Well, so so you've had a year of your show, and I know you just, for the one-year anniversary, you put out on your website, um, you had me at black.com, like a list of like your favorite moments, your team's favorite moments from yeah. the past year. I Can you just share like a couple of them, one of them, just whatever you want, but like I want to send people there to go watch the whole thing, but um, yeah, what yeah. have been some of your favorite moments on you had me at black? Yes, um, it's my favorite moment. So one of the first stories, I have a bunch, one of the first stories that we recorded is called Lit at the Feather. And I don't want to give the story away, but it's about this girl where her and her cousin, she's like 10 years old, they're playing with matches outside of her aunt's house and set the apartment complex on the fire. And it's a story about them being little kids and trying to hide the fact that they're the ones who started this fire. And... I love the story because she's a great storyteller, but it just reminded me of doing mischievous things with my little cousins and then trying to hide it from my grandfather or a parent. And when you're a little kid, that trouble seems so big. And, you know, it just seems like it's the end of the world. Um, and I, I just related to it. Like, it was something that was not very reminiscent. I could see myself in that story and just, like, trying to tell my cousins, like, don't say anything, don't tell nothing. Um... Another story that I really um, enjoyed was A Raisin in the City. And that story is about a young woman who, from Ohio, and her story, it's more about her journey of finding her purpose as a writer. So when she was, you know, she had been dissuaded in college from writing because she was told by an advisor that it wouldn't, doesn't make any money to stop with it. So she went into marketing and, um, and sales and, just kept hitting all these dead ends and was really hitting rock bottom, living in New York City, away from home, broke. And it's about her story of finding herself and her purpose and, and how her life changed for the better when she started to walk with her purpose. And that story was powerful to me because I was her friend and I had known her. I didn't even realize I had known her through some of her lowest points. And I had no idea. You never know what somebody's going through. And that's the first story that I've recorded and actually cried. The only story where I've cried in the recording mm. session in this recording studio just because I was so inspired by her faith and by her perseverance and how, like, um, how spiritual she was um, through it all. And uh, I just, like, I think she's an incredible woman and a incredible story. Um, another story that I love is Black Cinderella, and it's about... Um, our, my sister's friend, Ian, and um, growing up, they had a, their story was about how multiple times throughout their lives, life, they had fallen in love with a friend or somebody, and that love hadn't ever been reflected back because they were queer and they were discovering their identity, and uh, they grew up in Alabama. Yeah, Alabama. So, you know, just always kind of the odd one out um, and different from everyone around. And they had never put themselves in the center of their own love story. And the story is about how, um, you know, the time, a, a really heartbreaking experience that turned into something more positive. Mm -hmm. And so I thought um, that's not actually really positive. And then, I have so many favorite stories, I don't know why, but those are three great ones. <laughs> 
Those are all from our first and second season. Um, but we have some good ones from season from season three, which we're in right now. Um, I liked the story of Finding Dragon, and this is about a young man who he, he had a dog when he was a young kid, and the dog ran away, and like 15 years later, but on that way, he never found a dog. 15 years later, he's in Cuba, and he thinks he sees a dog. And so it's about his adventure trying to go after and like see this dog. Mm. I love how, like, You Had Me at Black has such a good mix of, like, comedic moments and then, like, really poignant moments. Yeah. And I think every story you said kind of has, like, some of each. Yeah. We try to keep a good balance. Um, yeah, we, we try to balance the the story of each season you know, and having a good number of funny ones and a good number of, like, deep ones. Um, some are very, uh, like, deal a lot with place issues. Some don't touch on them at all. So we try to really keep them uh, too broad and so that you can really come in and get, you know, any week you have no idea what kind of story you're going to get. What is your, like, story-picking process like? So, it's still one of actually the findings. I think we're getting better at it. But we need, the number one thing is it needs to be a story that has a clear beginning, middle, and end where something happens. And that sounds so straightforward, but there are so many stories out there where something almost happens, it's just like an almost story. So, <laughs> you know, someone would be like, well, I want to have a story about this time where I almost got arrested for blah, blah, blah. But, like, you didn't get arrested, so the story didn't happen. Like, the story would have happened if you got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so, and, and, and to that person, like, there's a lot of adrenaline because they escaped this thing, but, like, sometimes it falls about like, oh, man, it's missing that one thing. So, it's really, I, I, you know, it's not simple, but it has to have a clear beginning, middle, and, and something needs to happen. There needs to be some type of climax. Okay. That's, that makes really, sense. That's really our criteria. Yeah, I mean, I, that's so straightforward. I get that. But I, like, I went to the Wendy Williams show, like, a couple weeks ago. And in the beginning, when they have you, like, in the green room before you even go sit down, one of the things yeah. they do is there's somebody on the production side of the team who goes around and tries to get people for that Ask Wendy segment. Do you watch Wendy? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know how My she mom does. Wendy, so I, I know it. <laughs> yeah, I love Wendy. So, um, one of the things that they do is they like hand out a paper the second you walk through that door that says, like, what is something that you want to talk about, and it kind of asks you these questions, but it tries to get you to to have a certain thing. Like, you can't mm-hmm. just be saying like, this, I I don't know. Like, there's so much. It sounds so simple, but it's like. To get it is one thing. To, like, know that's what you need, but to actually get it from somebody is yeah. kind of, like, coaxing them into it. Like, you got to give me the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of coaching. Like, it, it, we do a lot of coaching, you know. And people will come and be like, oh, I have three stories. I just have one or three. But I have two different stories I'm thinking about. And I'll hear both of them, and I'll be like, I think the second one and the first one is better. So um, that's usually helpful when, that, when the person is more open open about it where sometimes people come in and it's like, oh, I want to tell this one story. That's the only story they want to tell and if it's not, we don't have all the pieces of a really compelling story that like will go well on a podcast. It makes it a little difficult. But we've never been able, we never had a chance where we couldn't like, you know, work with it. Like any story can really be 
developed if you use this thing maybe more broadly or um, you take it from a different, different angle. It's just a matter of like the time to, you know, to nest it and, and figure out what those pieces are. Yeah, it's really cool creative work you get to do because I feel like that's all so fun and creative. It is. I actually love talking. I, I, one of my favorite things is when I talk to people and they have no idea what story they want to tell, but they want to tell a story or we want them to tell a story, and I just start talking to them about their life. And we go down these different lanes, and I'm learning more about them and their family, what they do, and I'm like, huh, that could be a story. And then I like, kind of dig a little deeper, and i like, I think I just found your story. Like, that's really fun for me. <laughs> I love that. That's super cool. It's like finding treasure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so how have current events, like everything that's going on right now in the world, America, how have you been affected by it? Or how has your work been affected by it? You can share if you want to, like personally. I don't know that necessarily one is without the other. I know for me, like my work is in my personal pretty much overlap. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, just share share what's going I mean, on. Yeah, I think um, specifically for me, the current events that I'm thinking about are, I don't even say, the documentation and, like, broad distribution of police brutality videos, and I I don't even want to say that it's just, like, rise in incidences, because I know it's something that's been going on forever, and the only reason why it's top of mind now is because we have cell phones and we can receive them on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. But um, that plus Trump's election <laughs> really solidified, I think, our purpose and our place. So when, I think it was the summer of 2016, yeah, summer 2016, when Alton Sterling and Philando Castillo were both murdered, like, back-to-back, I remember, and then a few weeks later, there was a black caretaker who was shot because he was trying to control his autistic, um, the, the autistic man that he was helping. Yep, I remember that, um, too. Remember that? All the, those, those three moments, I was like, you know what, that's when, like, that's when I realized that the black narrative is so dangerous to our well-being, our safety. Like, you know, the, like, these cops are so afraid of these men and women that they shoot first at, don't ask questions. You know, it's the first reaction, is, and it's like, where does this narrative come from that, like, we're dangerous or that we're less than? And so that really was something that I was thinking a lot about as I was thinking about our second season of becoming a black. And then um, in the fall, when Trump was elected and we're going into our third season, that, for me, it was just, like, motivation. Like, you're not about to silence us. All these things going on in the world, voters with pressure, taking away health care, um, you know, trying to defund the HBCUs and the um, minister of significance, all this stuff. I'm like, no, you know, we're, uh, this is, our voices are even more important now because people in our government are even more actively trying to shut us down. And so uh, it's just, it has made my purpose more clear to me and it's given me a more solidified reason to keep doing this work. Mm. Yeah, like, I, I don't know about 
you, but like when I started Sister Radio, I kind of was like, okay, this is going to be like girl time, talk show, talk about girl stuff, like stuff we go through. And then like over time, there were different things that came up that I was like, this is, this is needs to change and this is important. And um, it like kind of got fine tuned and like, not that I've like pigeoned myself myself in a corner of I'm only advocating for these issues and not talking about anything mm-hmm. else but there's like a sense of purpose in what you're doing opposed to it's just yeah. like fun and creative I don't know if you can relate right. to that right yeah wow yeah um do you watch Dear White People at all on Netflix I I started I haven't gotten all the way through but I'm probably on episode like four or five. Oh, really do you feel like it's picked up for you because I get like mixed mixed reviews from people i really love it but some people are uh, like it takes a while to pick up i liked it i didn't enjoy the movie as much so i i think it's a great improvement from the movie i think i like the, the character development and how um and how it eat up shows for some different character and i think that it does a good job of of showing like i, I feel like i know people that fit each of those characters and their views on, like, how do we solve, how do we deal with our campus issues? I, I didn't even felt very reminiscent of college. Yeah, because I was going to um, say, isn't Georgetown kind of like a similar setup? No, I think they were actually set up based off of Harvard, but Georgetown is very preppy, is a predominantly white school with a lot of preppy kids from Connecticut and other parts of the Um. In New Jersey, New Jersey is actually um, the most represented school, the most represented state at Georgetown, fun fact. But, um, I, you know, the black community was a, definitely a minority. And when I was at school, there were a few racial incidences that really, that's what sparked my activist, I guess, fire. And that's what really woke me up to the fact that there are still so many issues that we need to address. Because I think growing up, I was definitely living in La La Land. And so, like, um, when I was a freshman was when the Gina, I don't know if you remember Gina Six, but there were six boys in Gina, Louisiana, that um, got into a, somewhat, the story was someone had hung a noose on their campus, on their high school campus. And that had set off some tension to the school. And then there was, like, some party, and I think a fight broke out. I think somebody died. But I, I don't want to put that on that story. And these boys, six boys, all got arrested. They were football star football players. Like the scholarships were going to be taken away, and they were facing very long prison sentences. And I remember um, at school, we you know marched and rallied for them, and it was a big deal because this one girl had written a whole piece about the issue, about what happened, and our school newspaper cut down her piece and made it like a little column, not even a full column, like a half-page column in the newspaper. Mag- oh, and she was really upset, and we were all like, what the hell? Like, this is a really important issue that is affecting young people. Um, and so I just remember that was the first time. That was when we just put that. I, that happened like three weeks into school, my freshman year. So I was like, oh, okay, this is what we're about at Georgetown. Like, I love it. I got, you know, everyone's like black. And there's different things happened throughout my time there where I, the community really came together um, and pressured the administration and pressured the, the faculty and other students to, like, open their eyes and pay attention and to prioritize 
um, issues of related to like equity and social justice and stuff and diversity. So that's where I my that's where the foundation of everything I, I do and believe in today started. Um, or at least that's where I like I, I realized them and started to like pay attention to them. Um, in college at Georgetown. And that kind of leads me nicely into my next question for you, which is, how do you hope to empower Black millennials? I want, I want Black millennials to feel empowered to go after everything that they want to go after, and also to be themselves a hundred percent, and to not feel like they need to change their hair, the way they speak, their dress usually listen to to fit into any one hole. So my goal really is to just empower people to be themselves, to um, empower people to continue sharing their stories and to know that their stories are enough. Because I think oftentimes, you know, we, we go through things in life and we'll use those things as reasons why we can't do what we want to do. And instead, it's like those things that you've gone through are actually all the reasons why you should go after what you want to do. They have qualified you. They have prepared you for whatever it is that you're itching and you're burning in your heart to go after. Um, and so I just want people to feel like, you know, you are enough. Your stories are enough. Um, and you have, it's all in your power to speak up. Um, and you should speak up because your voice is important. So that, that's, that's the work that I want to empower Black millennials. That's, that's what I want to um, empower black millennials to feel, and that is really um, the heart of You Had Me in Black. So what's next for you? Ooh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you getting married? You getting married? <laughs> yeah, I can't really think past uh, January 2018, which is when I'm running it. But what's next for... Right now, I'm really thinking about how do how can I you know grow and scale. You had me at black and make it something that is sustainable. You know, something that has like I, I want to bring our events to different cities, and I want them to be like regular occurring events in all these different cities throughout the country. I want them to be in Detroit, and Chicago, and DC, and Baltimore, and Charlotte, and Atlanta, and Texas, and even Houston, Dallas, you know, LA, San Francisco, and Oakland. Like I want us to be everywhere, and so but our there's only so many of us on the team, and again, we work and just trying to figure out, like, how do we make this sustainable? How do we build, build this to something that can keep itself up, and how do we build chapters in different cities, and what does all that look like? So that's really what I'm focused on right now and what my um, what my goals are for the next couple of years. What are your live shows um, like? Yeah, because I cut you off when we were talking earlier because I was like, hold that thought because what you're saying is so good. But what are your live shows like for um, when when you're going on tour and everything? Yeah, what are your live shows like? Um, have you ever been to the mall before? Nope. Okay, so the mall is actually I don't even describe the describe us. But I like I someone knows the moth, I'm like, oh I kinda like the moth. But our live shows we bring on four storytellers and they share stories live. So it's if there's a funny story, it's almost like a comedy bit, but if it's a more deep story, it's like a story slam almost. Um and so it's about an hour of storytelling and the other time is like mingling and turn up. So I really like to I'm like, I'm very particular about like 
but make sure we have a good DJ there that can help create this very like warm um, and inviting and just fun atmosphere. And we always, you know, make sure we have drinks there and people are drinking and hanging out and getting to know each other. So it's, I, I would say the, the the vibe is just like a warm, positive, lit vibe. You know, like mm-hmm. people come, they come, they come dressed up, you know, not too dressed up, but they try to look cute. Um, and it's just like, a, it, it's a, it, I think it's a cool departure from the party scene, you know, from it, it is something to do at night that is fun and entertaining, but still woke and it's not just another party. Um, and usually at the end, they do turn into parties because we just stay there and just keep like, the music going and people start to dance and stuff. But it's just a, it's a great community feel, and it is a great, like, energizing vibe. It's, it's always a bunch of young black people, sometimes the cars are a little mixed. Um, and it feels like a safe space, because our stories go there. Like, I don't, you know, I tell storytellers, like, if the story is the story is the story. Don't try to water it down to make it feel more palatable. So I think that because the stories are raw, people feel like it's a safe space, because they're like, wow, I had that exact same experience, and I thought the exact same thing about it, and that's okay. Or, you know, like, that's cool to suppose that validation, that I'm not alone. Um, but I've said before that I think they're magical. Like, the, to me, the, the live shows are everything that you had me at Black is about, and the energy is just so electric and so contagious, and people don't want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're like, we got to go. Like, our, our, our rental for the space is over, and people are, like, not leaving. <laughs> you know, so it's always, um, and you can tell it's something like people that, people that live, that in-person connection is still really important, even though, you know, despite the age of social media and digital media, and we have, we can get all this content on devices, like people still need human-to-human connection, and they still need that community, and that's what we're bringing with you, Hemi Black. Yeah, you're a connector. I I've never met somebody who's more of a connector than you. It's awesome. I love that. I hope I get to go to one of the live shows. So then, I hope so too. So like yeah. So the ones that are coming up, can you just give dates real quick before I, I ask yes. you some final questions? <laughs> yes. So we'll be in DC on July 22nd at Smith Public Trust. We'll be in Oakland on July 29th location to be announced and um, we'll be in LA in September. We're still finalizing dates and locations for LA, but Los Angeles in September. Okay, you heard that. East Coast, West Coast, get your act together (laughs) and get out there. Well, so now I want to ask you just like a couple, these are like my favorite questions to ask people. Um, What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best advice I've ever been given was actually from, um, I was interning um, in the Bay Area in college, and my company would have these Friday talk series with execs of the company, and they would come and, like, talk to the intern and give all this career advice and talk about their parts of the company. And Stacey Brown Silpot um, did a talk, and she's now the, the CEO of TaskRabbit. And her advice is, don't ha- don't worry about something until you need to worry about. And so she gave it in the context of like career, where she like I meet all these young students who are like, um, you know, I want to, I really want to do this with my life, but if I do that, then I can't do X Y Z. Or if I apply to this program and this job at the same time, like the conflict. 
And she's like, why are you worried? You haven't even gotten the job offer or the program acceptance, so <laughs> why don't you just go and apply? Like, you're worrying about something that's hypothetical. And it's something that my mom had always told me my whole life, because I used to be a what-if kind of kid. And I was like, well, what if this happens? What if that? And she's like, Martina, don't stress me about hypotheticals. But when Stacey said it, it stuck with me. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I guess, like, don't worry about hypotheticals. Like, go after whatever it is you are trying to go after. Um, you know, keep working towards whatever you're working towards. Keep hustling. And when there's something to worry about, that's when you solve that problem. Don't try to solve problems prematurely when they're, you don't even have that problem yet. That's a really good so, piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's been very helpful. <laughs> now the trick for me is to actually take that advice. <laughs> Well, now that I know you have a sister who you have <laughs> roped into all that you're doing, um, what does being a sister mean to you? Ooh, being a sister for me, uh, it means being a confidant and being a supporter. And as a big sister, it also means being like a coach. Like, someone to rally and encourage, but also to help, like, guide and give feedback. Um, I think I'm learning as I get older with my, my sister. I don't, I'm totally comfortable giving her feedback and, like, giving her constructive criticism. I think it's just a big sister to me. But I'm also learning that to being a friend, like, your best friends are the ones that, that will call, check you and will call you out on things because they love you because they know that you can do better. They know that you can do more and they want the best for you. And so I'm learning how I'm, I'm, I'm still learning and growing in that. But to me, that's like a really big part of being a sister is like helping somebody to be the best that they can be. And that also doesn't just mean like, so has girl being a yes man all the time. Sometimes it also means like, er, maybe you shouldn't do that. Or like, have you thought about this? Or, you know, and, and that can be really difficult. For a lot of people, it's difficult for me. It's something that I'm learning. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something I'm learning, too. It's I'm the baby of the family, so everything you're saying about being a big sister, you know, giving advice, coaching, I'm like, yep, they do that. <laughs> All of that. And I never heard that, saw them have a problem telling me <laughs> what to do, so. But I think definitely, like, not being a yes person all the time is so important to learn, and it's so hard sometimes, so that was, like, spot on. I was like, yep same <laughs> yeah yeah so if you were a superhero what would your superpower be and why hmm. that's a hard question um my superpower i think my superpower would be able to uh go back in time i really like history i'm kind of a history nerd and when i was a kid growing up i would always uh like, try to imagine my life and what it would be at different points in history and, like, in different places and stuff. And so I think, I don't even know if that's a superpower. I guess it is, because maybe it allows you to affect it. I think it's a superpower. That would be amazing to go back into a certain time in history. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my superpower, just to go back in, in history. I wouldn't want to go forward, because I, I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't want to know the future. <laughs> I, I want to know that, like, everything ended up okay, but I don't want to, like, know the details of the future. But I would love to go back and explore, like, the past, um, 
before I was born. Okay. I like it. <laughs> That's a unique answer. <laughs> I think it's unique because you're unique. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Well, okay, I feel like I had such a fun time. I could talk to you all day long. I just think you're one of the most interesting people. You know, it's so funny, like, I wasn't going to say this because I didn't want to be too corny, but since I've been following you on Twitter, I just just like you. There's something about you. I just like you. I don't know. Oh, thank you. I don't even like really know you other than you know <laughs> social media. But there's just something about you that is really um, transparent and like vulnerable and comfortable and likable. And so thank you for coming on Sister Radio and and chatting with us and sharing oh, about your life. Thank you. I feel like I'm always on Twitter complaining, like complaining about different brands and trying to get them to me to give me. Stuff. <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny though because like really the. The reason why I feel that way is something, it's just you have me at black. It's just listening to you have me at black. Not necessarily your tweets. I get how you could be like, wait, my Twitter account is making you feel all that. But no, but like just listening to your show and everything that you're doing, it's just, it's just really important. And you can feel that. It's the energy you give off. It's just really nice. So I'm so glad you came on the Thank show. You. I really appreciate Thank it. You. And I, I thank you so much for reaching out. This was really fun. You are a great interviewer. Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, you made me feel really comfortable. I get nervous. You made me feel like really comfortable. And so, okay, kudos to you as well. Like you are really good at what you do. Thank you, but don't kill don't kill me when you you're the production value. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we have fun, and that's what matters. And then people will get to know you, know you have me at black, and get out there and see you guys because I just think that's really an important. It sounds to me like that's kind of the heartbeat of what you're doing is those events, yeah. and so I yeah. just want people to get there. So, um, where can they find you? Where can they follow you at? Yes, great question. So. Our website is youhadmeatblack.com. You can join our email list there, and that's where you can stay up to date on your episodes that come out and all the events and things that we're doing. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, youhadme.atblack, or you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook, just at youhadmeatblack. So we, we cross-promote everywhere, but... I love it. Yeah, and your Instagram is amazing. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> hey. Yeah. That's my sister. My sister and I, we tag team on, on Instagram. Wait, are those like, are you guys taking those photos? Because they're so, like, polished. Some of them, yeah. So we uh, we always take photos like, when we record in the studio and at all of our events. And we did hold a photo shoot a couple months ago with, like, some of our t-shirts and stuff just so we had. You know, branded content. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. yeah. You are a woman on the rise, and I'm just so honored to, to get to know you. Oh, thank you. I feel the same about you. I love Ooh. the work that you're doing. Thank, thank you so much. You. Thank you, Martina. You've been listening to Sister Radio. Special thank you to Martina Abrahams. Thank you so much, girl, for coming on. We enjoyed having you, and we hope you all go out there and make some connections and feel inspired. We love y'all. Sister Radio.